So let me say um, what a delight it has been to be with you all this weekend. Um, I have a long-term relationship with this church and with your pastor, and it has always been a great source of encouragement to me spiritually. And um, I want you to know that. Thank you to the committee uh, under the leadership of Dennis Boatwright and um, the help of Josh Espinoza, um, and also especially the warm hospitality of the Brannans. Uh, my wife and I have been greatly blessed and encouraged to be here with you uh, for this missions conference. I have the highest regard for your pastor. Pastoral ministry is difficult. While we say um, it was not a sacrifice, there's much that is required of us. And it can uh, at sometimes be burdensome. And I know your pastor has uh, felt that at times, so I want to encourage you to encourage him um, and to pray for him. Um, if I was uh, the enemy of the church, I would attack pastors. It would be strategic, and often um, you don't see it, but they have uh, many struggles. So as a fellow pastor and co-laborer of your dear pastor, I, I covet your prayers for him. If, if only half of what Terry said about me was true, I would still be an unworthy servant. And I take to heart um, the quote from David Livingston, and there is a hymn in the Trinity Hymnal. It is not sung often. I don't know if you ever sing it here. We don't sing it often at Trinity either, but it has a stanza in it that has helped me and guided me and it expresses well what I think should be the mindset um, of one who is a servant of the Lord. And it's um, been one that has the stanza, this third stanza is hymn 559, has, has always been profound to me. It, it's, what it says is so true. People have said to me, why, why are you in Statesboro? Why did you stay in Statesboro? Well, because God called me there. That's where he ordained for me to uh, live out my ministry. But I'll read this third stanza for you. I ask thee for the present, for the daily strength, to none that ask denied, a mind to blend with outward life while keeping at thy side, content to fill a little space if thou be glorified. Isn't that great? That should be our heart's attitude. That should be our, our mindset wherever God calls us. Now, um, tonight I want you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 5, verses 18 to 20. Um, perhaps you are intrigued by the title of this sermon, Forbidden to Follow Jesus, but this is a particularly unique text of Scripture insofar as this is exactly what Jesus uh, says to this man who is begging uh, Jesus to be allowed to follow him. I'm going to be reading from the New American Standard Bible. I know you have the ESV, but it's very much, very similar. Uh, but would you follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read God's holy and infallible Word, Mark 5, verses 18 to 20. And as he was getting into the boat, 
the man who had been demon-possessed was entreating him that he might accompany him, and he did not let him. But he said to him, Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, your holy word. We acknowledge, O Lord, that the natural man cannot understand the things of God because they are spiritually appraised, but the spiritual man appraises all things. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. We pray now that you would enlighten our minds in the knowledge of Christ and stir our hearts to serve him as we ought. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Ready to stay and ready to go. This is what you find underneath the seal of the Baptist Missionary Union. Uh, These words, ready for either. On this seal are found the image of an ox standing with a plow on one side and an altar on the other. Ready for either plow or altar to stay on the one hand or to go on the other ready to serve here in this place or there somewhere in this world. This is the stance of the disciple of Christ. It has often been said that the call of discipleship is the call to follow Jesus. God called Abraham and did not even tell him where he was going. And yet Abraham left Ur of the Chaldeans and followed to the place that the Lord God led him. Jesus called Peter and the other disciples and they dropped their nets and followed. Following Jesus is, you would say, at the heart of discipleship and yet Jesus will not let this poor man just set free from horrible spiritual bondage follow him. Verse 18 bears repeating, and as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was entreating him that he might accompany him, and he did not let him. This statement alone, I think, makes this episode stand out as particularly noteworthy. Why? Well, first of all, because uh, it should be your heart's desire to follow Jesus, to be with him, shouldn't it? Verse 18 states that this man was entreating him that he might accompany him, but he did not let him. Like this man, it should be our desire, it should be your desire to follow Jesus, to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are at least two reasons why you and I ought to desire to follow Jesus. First of all, because of who he is, and then secondly, because of what he has done. When you consider the person of Jesus, uh, his character, his nature, his compassion, his wisdom, his personal magnetism, it is clearly understandable why you ought to desire to follow Jesus. This is why I often tell people uh, in evangelistic opportunities, uh, I always ask people, have you ever read the Gospels? And 
more often than not, I get the answer, no, I've never read them. And I challenge them to read the Gospels and ask themselves the question, what kind of person would say the things that Jesus said and do the things that Jesus did? I really think that if they'll just get a glimpse of the glory of Jesus as revealed to us in the record of his life in the Gospels, uh, they'll begin to be attracted to him. Jesus himself said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto myself. Who has such compassion as does Jesus? Who has such power as does Jesus? Who has such perfections as does Jesus? Why wouldn't you want to follow Jesus? As the hymn writer so aptly puts it, fair are the meadows, fair are the woodlands, robed in the blooming garb of spring. Jesus is fairer. Jesus is pure, who makes the woeful heart to sing. Mark says uh, that the man was entreating Jesus to let him be with him, to accompany him. And Luke records that he was begging him. Not only is his desire understandable when you consider who Jesus is and what he is like, but it's also understandable when you consider what Jesus had done for this man. In Mark 5, verses 3 to 5, uh, we read about the spiritual bondage of this man. It says, And he was dwelling among the tombs, and no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. And constantly, night and day, among the tombs and in the mountains, he was crying out and gashing himself with stones. It's an awful picture, isn't it? A picture of our depravity, of our bondage in sin, no self-control, self-destructive behavior. And remember his great relief when Jesus had compassion on him and he was suddenly relieved of his bondage and made whole. Verse 15 says, And they came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind, the very man who had had the legion, and they became frightened. Of course, this is a great picture of the gospel, isn't it? The good news of our Savior, that whatever your spiritual bondage might be, Jesus can set you free. That's good news. This is the message of our mission. We offer the hope of freedom and sanity by the power of God's grace in the gospel of Jesus. He can give you a new life. When you consider what Jesus had done for this man, no wonder he wanted to be with Jesus. He was put in his right mind. The chains were removed and he had the hope of freedom and sanity. It was a heartfelt expression of devotion he had been relieved of this torture, and now he was understandably a devotee of Jesus. Would you respond with like desire in your own heart, 
considering what Jesus has done for you. Those of you who are believers here this night and know what it means to experience the mercy of God, to know what it means to be set free and begin to be in your right mind. You know, there's something uh, of insanity about all sin, isn't it? I mean, it's insane, isn't it, to be a little teeny creature rebelling against the infinite God? That's a bit of insanity, isn't it? But the gospel of grace puts us in our right minds. So wouldn't you want to be with him? It is the natural response to the experience of grace. This man is a picture of our condition in sin, and he's the picture of what ought to describe or be the desire of every man, woman, and child who experiences the grace of God to follow Jesus, to be with him. Now, what does it mean to follow Jesus? In particular for us, uh, for many, following Jesus in the day in which these disciples were living, for many, following Jesus meant literally leaving everything behind. This was certainly the case for the rich young ruler, as recorded in Matthew 19, 16 to 22. Uh, You remember he came to Jesus and said, what must I do to obtain eternal life? And Jesus said, you need to keep the commandments. He said, I've done all that. If you can imagine, he hadn't read the larger catechism yet, had he? But he had a first table problem with the commandments. He was an idolater. He had many possessions and his possessions had possessed him. And so Jesus cut right to the issue and uh, said to him, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor. You shall have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. But when the rich young ruler, the young man heard this statement, he went away grieved for he was one who owned much property. And when Jesus said to his disciples, follow me, he intended just that, just as he intended this young man to sell his possessions and follow him. They were to literally and physically follow Jesus. That is, they were to immediately stop what they were doing And start walking with Jesus to get in behind him, follow him to the next city or town. And when Jesus said to the rich young ruler that he must sell all that he had and follow him, that is exactly what he was being asked to do. There was no symbolism intended. There was no hyperbole. This is literally what he was supposed to do. And that is exactly what this man wants to do to be with Jesus, to follow Jesus, to accompany him, but Jesus would not let him. Now there is a sense in which every man must follow Jesus in this, um, in a kind of a literal manner. You and I cannot actually follow Jesus in the physical sense, obviously because he's not here physically. We know that our Lord was raised from the dead. He is now seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Some place in this universe, I don't know where, but he's not on this earth walking around, so you cannot literally and physically follow Jesus. Nevertheless, you can follow him and ought to follow him and must follow him in a real and true sense. You can follow him in a real spiritual sense. Well, how so? Well, first, you can follow Jesus by trusting him, by putting your faith and trust in Jesus. You can repent of your sins and embrace Christ 
as your Savior and your Lord, you can be his disciple. In that way, you can follow him in a real spiritual sense. Secondly, you can follow Jesus by obeying his commands. They're very clear. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And we can learn what his commandments are, and we can then begin to arrange our life in a way that is in accord with the commandments of our God. And in that way, we also can be following Jesus. Third, you can follow Jesus by making a commitment to follow his example. You can begin to imitate him and do what he did. You can bear testimony to the gospel, the good news of his mercy. You can show mercy to others. You can do those things that Jesus did. You can be a Christian, one who imitates Christ. And fourthly, perhaps most importantly for our mission's concern this, this weekend, you can follow Jesus in a real and spiritual sense by adopting his mission as your own. You can own the mission of Christ right here. Some of you, maybe God will call, especially I'm focusing on younger men, although I wouldn't restrict you to that. God may call to follow, you may be called to follow Jesus in that sense, in the same way that your pastor did, the same way that I have, the same way that your your associate pastors have, the same way that many have, where uh, they were compelled by their experience of the grace of God and the calling of God in their lives to own the mission of Christ in a professional sense, to devote their lives to gospel ministry, either here or somewhere else. Plant churches, pastor churches here or in foreign lands. That's why I moved to Statesboro, Georgia, because God called me there to engage and own the mission of Christ. In all these ways and others as well, you can follow Jesus. If you would be a disciple of Jesus, then you must follow Jesus. And these are some of the ways in which you and I can follow and must follow Jesus. But there is also another sense in which many of us will not follow him. It is the same sense in which the, uh, the Lord Jesus forbids this man in this text to follow him, even though he is begging to do so. It is certainly commendable that he desires to follow Jesus in this manner. It can be legitimately argued that every person who professes the name of Jesus should be willing to follow Christ even as this man desired to do so, but that is not what Jesus is asking him to do. In fact, Jesus explicitly forbids this man to follow him. Verse 19 says he did not let him. Luke 8 verse 38 states, but he sent him away. And as was true for this man, uh, as also is true for us. So what does it mean for you to follow Jesus? For most of us, following Jesus will mean staying where we are. It's kind of an odd missions sermon, I know. I'm supposed to get all of you to go somewhere. Uh, You're supposed to all go to Peru or all go to Knoxville and join with the Blevins. But for most of us, following Jesus means staying where you are. Most Christians are not supposed to follow Jesus in the sense of being professional ministers. That is making their living from the ministry, the gospel itself. Now certainly that is legitimate. I was 42 years. I hope it was legitimate. 
And the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 14, so also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. But this is not the norm for John and Jane, Jane Doe Christian. This is not the norm for most of you. If everyone whom Jesus touched in Judea, Samaria, and Galilee had actually gotten up, left their houses, quit their families and their business, and went out into the wilderness after Jesus and followed him wherever he went, it would have been a great disaster, as you can imagine. That's kind of what happened when um, there were 5,000 men plus women and children following Jesus out into the areas around the Sea of Galilee, and they're out there several days' travel, and there's no food. You could imagine if that were to happen, it would create an economic chaos. Does that mean that there is to be a professional class of ministers who do all the ministering, and then the rest of us just sit around and do nothing? No, obviously that's not the case, and many argue that Ephesians 4 verse 12 tells us that part of the duty and responsibility of the minister of the gospel is to equip and prepare you to engage in ministry yourself within the body of Christ. Ministers or people who are professionally engaged in gospel ministry should see it as their job to perform some particular task, as in the case of pastors, teachers, equipping people so that they might do ministry themselves. But this is the crucial point. If you don't get anything else from this study tonight, this, you can get out your pens and start writing. This is the thing that I wish you to grasp. Jesus did not prevent this man from following him in order to prevent him from doing ministry. On the contrary, Jesus forbid him from following him in order to press him into ministry. Even the disciples that Jesus called to literally follow him and be with him were not with him all the time. They spent time with Jesus in order to be trained, to be sent out into the world and minister in his name. Most Christians are not supposed to abandon their jobs and their families and their homes and go off on some mission. God might call some of you, I hope he does call some of you, to be in professional ministry, but the Lord wants most of you to do the same thing that this man in our text is told to do. Jesus did not let him, but he said to him, go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Luke records in chapter 8, verse 39, that Jesus said, Return to your house and describe the great things God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. This is what all of us must do. It is not a question of leaving your home and job and family and going out and ministering the gospel or staying at home with your job and family and doing nothing. Whether at home or somewhere else, you are to participate in this great kingdom ministry 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus sent this man back to his house. Why? To minister the gospel of Jesus Christ, to report what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Now, of course, this assumes that you have experienced the mercy of God. If you haven't yet experienced the mercy of God, if you don't know what it means to have the wonderful experience of the forgiving grace of Jesus in your life, to know that all your sins are forgiven past, present, and future, and that you have a sure hope of heaven, then you don't have anything to say to anyone. But if you've experienced that, then this is our great privilege to share this gospel. Listen, I think it was a sacrifice for this man to leave the physical presence of Jesus and go home. After all, to what would he be returning? He did not have the wealth of the prodigal son awaiting him. If he remained with Jesus, would he be forsaking some great business like the rich young ruler? Probably not. This is where ministry starts. This is where we first own the mission of Christ. It starts at home in the real world where you live and work and play, not overseas, but in your house to those who are right under your nose, not in Peru, but in Savannah. Sometime when you have an opportunity to peruse the book of Acts, just do a survey of it and notice how often the house or household is mentioned in the spread of the gospel. The gospel is spreading along the lines of natural affinity from one household and home to another. It was spreading by the practice of hospitality, or you might say hospitality, like a coin a term. Here's the great need. Perhaps it is the most difficult place to minister because these people can observe your life and see if the grace of God is real in your life. They can observe your life and see if God's mercy has really changed you or not. It does not have the anonymity of event evangelism. You know, we can all get together on a Wednesday night and we can dance around the fire and get all hyped up and jump in a bus and run across the town and then get out and throw tracks at people and then run back home. But they'll never see anything of our lives. They don't know what the experience of the mercy of God is or not. But when you do mercy, when you do ministry at home in your own town, uh, then people can see whether or not your experience of the mercy of God and grace is real. It is the responsibility of all of us, whether we live or work, where we live and work, to participate in the proclamation of the gospel at some level or another. This is where we must start. It does no good 
to go overseas if you will not go across the street or across the hall. For most of you, it will be to serve the Lord in the very place where you are when he calls you. As a lawyer or a dentist or a landscaper or a housewife, a mother, a secretary, a teacher, an electrician, a plumber, this is as noble a service as if you cross some large body of water. If you think that it is necessary to cross a body of water before you can be an authentic missionary or witness, then you can come with me back to Statesboro. I'll put you in my truck and I'll ride you across the Ogeechee River and bring you back and certify you as a missionary. Now note that this man did not restrict or limit Jesus' instructions to his house alone. Jesus says, go home to your people, return to your house. But he extended the proclamation, we are told, to the entire Decapolis, that region of about 10 cities that were out there south and east of the Sea of Galilee. He extended the proclamation, Luke says, to the whole city. He was told to describe the great things that God had done for him or the Lord had done for him to give a report. But the text states that he began to proclaim the great things that Jesus had done for him. Isn't that interesting? Could it be? I think so that he understood that Jesus was God divine, the second person of the Holy Trinity in the flesh. So this is the gospel. The eternal Son of God has taken on the fullness of our human nature to die in our place that we might be saved, to break the chains of sin and lust that enslave us, to put us in our right minds to cleanse and renew us and give us eternal life. This is what he has done for you if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what he can and will do for you if you will put your trust in him. And our great calling is to own the mission of Christ, first here and then there. Our great calling is to go home first and proclaim the gospel, to live out the gospel in our homes, and then take it to our city, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. And all of us have a part to play. Pray, minister here if you're called to stay, minister there if you're called to go, give that others might go. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, how we thank you for the marvelous grace of our Lord Jesus that you have lavished upon us and that by the power of that grace, you have set us free from our bondage. We give you praise. We ascribe all glory, majesty, and honor and dominion to you, eternal and triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.